I want to uh, follow Tim's lead from last week about revisiting foundations, uh, foundational cultures, cultures in our life, but also us as a church. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for me because I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, it's in your best interest that you pray with faith because you're probably polite enough you're going to sit here for the next half hour even if I'm really bad. So pray that, speak what God wants and then it won't be a waste of your time. And then I'll pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so dependent on you. We open our hearts to you to, to speak to us. Uh, to your spirit who leads us. Lord, I just acknowledge I need you. There's so much of your truth in your word that I don't have the capacity to communicate. So I just ask for your anointing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Tim shared about the foundation of team. God's pattern is team. God uses team. And he said that everyone's input is important. And I love the illustration of the pipe organ. How many of you were here? How many of you heard that, remember that? He said that there were three ingredients that were important. Humility, obedience, and love. So I want to ask you, how are you responding to that word? Uh Uh-oh. Did you just hear it and then forget about it when you went home? Or did you say, God, what's my part? What can I contribute? Are there adjustments I need to make? Today I wanna talk to you about being fully word and fully spirit. We've talked about this many times in the past. I wanna revisit that foundation once again, maybe with a little bit of a twist on it, not changing that foundation, just saying it a little bit different. I realized that in doing that, the message this morning will have two parts. The fully spirit part and the fully words part. Some of you will like one part more than the other because that's where you tend to gravitate. And I want to encourage you, just amen in the part you like because somehow then... you. You'll all be amening, and I'll feel better for the whole thing. Uh, amen the part you, that you tend to gravitate toward, and then really pay attention on the other part. Because that's probably where you need to grow. Uh-oh. I want to talk about first Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Not just that he gives us joy, but incredible joy. The power of the Spirit manifests in our life. The leading of the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit. How often do we experience something where the Holy Spirit leads us someplace or gives us even a check about going someplace and we find out later how he's protected us? A couple of scriptures. Romans 5, 5. Talking about hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
How many of you have read that and passed over it? says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. I want to say, I'm not sure you can even experience the love of God without the Holy Spirit. You can experience the concept of love, which is a different thing. Romans chapter 14, just a couple chapters over. I'm going to give you a few this morning. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of of the Spirit. Actually says there's something of the power of the Spirit that brings hope. Verse 18, I did not dare to speak of any of the things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around even to whatever that is, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He's actually saying that we need the power of the Spirit to preach the gospel. It seems that there's something of when the Holy Spirit touches us, that often it affects our emotions. We feel love, joy, peace, hope. Now, most of us realize that when that happens, it often has an outward sign. We might end up crying or laughing or trembling, or falling, or just being enthusiastic. There's something of the Holy Spirit that touches us that affects our emotions. Our emotions aren't necessarily the Holy Spirit, but sometimes when the Holy Spirit touches us, he affects our emotions. And I wanna to say to you this morning, emotions aren't bad. See, we live in a culture that sometimes says it's bad to show emotion. Whether that comes from Greek stoicism, inherited in our culture, or from Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Say it all with a look. God made emotions. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid when the Holy Spirit touches you and it results in something emotional. Amen. Don't be afraid of that. Many of us have been taught to be afraid of that. 
I was in the church I grew up in. I was taught that any expression of emotion is simply the flesh or even the devil. And so as soon as someone got emotional, we began to cast out demons. You've never experienced that. I've never done that. Except that what we're saying is that it wasn't God then that made our emotions. Can I say this? While I'm saying that, not being afraid of emotions, I want to say this. Embrace the emotions when the Holy Spirit touches you. But don't chase emotion. There's a difference. Embrace it when the Holy Spirit touches you and you begin to cry or tremble or something happens, but don't chase it. It's not looking for a feeling. It's actually looking for him. Looking for his presence. I wanna say, sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the love of God. There's sometimes I just feel so overwhelmed, I just begin to weep. Happens quite often, maybe not as much as Steve, but it still happens. But let me tell you, while I appreciate feeling the love of God, I don't believe that God loves me because I feel it. I believe that God loves me because he says he loves me. God so loved Russ that he gave his only begotten son that if Russ would believe in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truth. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into my heart and it overwhelms my sensibilities and I might fall down or I might cry. But when I don't feel that, God still loves me. I'm preaching today. I know he loves me even when I don't feel the feeling. I want to encourage you, if you've been taught that expressing emotion, even when you're touched by the Holy Spirit, is something that's not good, I want to encourage you, just repent right now. That's not God. That's actually saying, God, what you made wasn't good. None of us are in that point, of course. Embrace the fullness of the Holy Spirit and all of his manifestations. The word manifestation means to make seen or known. Romans 12 talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. They're not to make us seen. They're not to identify our gift. They're to make him seen. And sometimes when he touches us, it comes out. But that's one wing of the airplane. Airplane needs two wings to fly. The other wing is being fully word, which is interesting that that's one of the things that the Spirit does. 
He leads us into all truth. A couple of scriptures. John chapter 8. I marked it in here. I can find it. I'm getting smart. You guys know this, but Jesus says this in verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Doesn't say you'll know the emotion. I'm not discounting everything I just preached. I'm adding to it. It's not one or the other. It's not one wing or the other wing. It's embracing both, but it's saying you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We live in a culture that is so emotion-oriented that we want, we're chasing after experiences. And if God touches me, it's a wonderful experience. I want that again. And so I'm looking, where can I find that? The word says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Does God touch us and we experience wonderful things? Yes. How many of you have ever received a touch of God where you've experienced physical healing? Raise your hand. Hold it up. Look at that. How many of you have experienced a touch of God where it literally affected your, your physical body, your emotions, whether you cried or laughed or fell down or, look at that. Okay, I'm preaching to the choir today. Might as well just go home. You know the truth. John 14, you know this. I'm telling you what you already know. I've just admitted that I'm preaching to what you already know. But Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You'll know the truth. The truth is Jesus. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, said, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came by his own admission to bear witness to the truth. He said, I am the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. Luke 10, I think 19, or 19.10, says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Did he come to seek and save the lost, or did he come to bear witness to the truth? Yes. It's not one or the other. It's both. Psalm 119, 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth. Psalm 12, verse six. Someone gave this to me last week. And seven says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, and they shall preserve them from this generation forever. And shall preserve them from this generation forever. One more, just because I I could give you hundreds of scriptures about the Spirit or about the Word, but Psalm chapter 1, 
verse one, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to the world. That's not actually what it says. It says, who, does, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinner or sits in the seat of scorn. Basically, he doesn't listen to the world around him. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, which is a euphemism for the word. His delight is in the word. And in the word, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The word has stood the test of time. It's God's revelation of himself. I'm gonna get sidetracked here, okay? I'm gonna come back to that in a second, but I just wanna get sidetracked. I was reading this week about uh, the Soviet Union and about communism, and they had this big revolution, as most of you know if you've studied history, uh, in the early 1900s, 1917, and they had this revolution, and it was all based on a philosophy of a couple of guys who said, this will change the world. So they had this big old revolution. As you don't know the history, 70 years later, that whole thing fell apart. It didn't work. In the process... 50 million Soviets died, either killed by the government or starved because this philosophy didn't work. It was supported or kept in place by terror, death, persecution, until people finally got fed up with it. Way back in the beginning, they actually believed this. For years, young people gave their life to bring the answer to the world, which was all a lie of the devil. I'm preaching this morning. The word of God is where God has revealed himself. I want to tell you this, if you want to know him, we have to listen to what he says about himself. God says, this is what I'm like. Who are we to say, no, no, I don't like that. I want you to be like this. He reveals his character and nature. He reveals his purpose and plan. He reveals his pattern for living. The word tells us how to live in relationships, how to have good relationships, loving relationships, and it stood the test of time for thousands of years. It actually works. Tells you how to build a good marriage. Since he made us, you think he actually knows best. His word tells us how to raise our children. How many of you know you don't want to make a mistake and find out 30 years later that you built on the wrong foundation? 1960, 
a child psychologist named Dr. Benjamin Spock wrote a book about raising kids. In the late 80s, he admitted everything he said was wrong. Yet a whole generation built their life and raised their kids based on that and have faced the consequence because they trusted someone other than God. Why? That's just stupid. <laughs> I'm getting carried away. <laughs> Kate's doing a seminar on raising kids. Uh, we had a, a slide at one point, uh, but talk to Tim or Kate. Kate's out with the, uh, the kids this morning, I think. But uh, if you'd like to know what does the Bible say, what does God say about raising kids? If you've got kids, you don't get a second chance. It's good to listen to something that stood the test of time instead of experimenting. The Word tells us how to live. The Word tells us God's pattern for finances. You'd be smart to listen to what it says. But let me say this. While this wonderful word tells us all this stuff for living, it actually only works if we do it. Not if we just know about it, but if we do it. John 7 and 17 says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He says, you actually have to want to do it. Matthew 7, 24 says, he who hears my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. Which is why I started with, what have you done with what Tim preached last week? We can get in the habit of listening to a lot of teaching. Some of you listen to multiple things during the week. You can listen to 10 or 12 sermons, YouTube, uh, other things, podcasts. But I want to ask you, do you actually do them? Or are you actually training yourself to be hearers of the word but not doers? Uh-oh. Okay, let me say this. The devil knows the importance of the truth. The devil knows when Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If he wants you not to be free but to be bound, what is he gonna do? He's gonna actually have to deceive you with something other than truth. Right? That's not rocket science. But I want you to hear this. The devil lies about God and his truth. The values and the messages of the world around us, the culture around us, are a lie from the devil. I'm getting serious here. John 12, 31, Jesus says of the devil that he's the ruler of this world. 
1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the influence or the sway of the evil one. So when you listen to something on television and somebody tells you how you should raise your kids, they have no clue. In fact, they're probably lying. I saw, this was a number of years ago, but we lived in Melbourne. And there was a morning program on. I almost never watched TV during the day, but uh, there was something on. I don't know why I was watching. I was at someone else's house, but it was a morning show. And a guy, I don't know his name, David Koch? Yeah. He was actually interviewing, and they had this panel, and there was someone who was talking about raising kids. And they were telling all these things about how you should raise kids and everything. And, and they weren't kind of agreeing. And he finally turned to him and said, do you have any kids? <laughs> they said, no. And you could literally see him, his body language. He turned away and totally did not listen. Someone spouting all this academic knowledge that they've heard, but they've never had kids. It doesn't work in the real world. The devil wants to convince you. If you'll only believe in communism, we can change the world. And 50 million gave up their lives based on a lie. You can understand then why it's so important to listen to what God has said. His word. Not what philosophers say. Not what other people say, but what he says. A number of years ago, I was teaching a group of pastors in the States. And I was talking about knowing God as opposed to knowing about God. And I made the point that we can study the, the Bible, but if our heart isn't to know God, if our heart isn't to actually put it in the place, it can just become an academic belief. And after I shared, a pastor came to me and said, but isn't theology just the study of God? I said, yes, it is. But you know, the word theology isn't in the Bible. I said, God doesn't tell us to study him. He tells us to know him. I wasn't saying we shouldn't know about God. We shouldn't study him. But I was saying that there's something beyond that to actually coming into relationship with him and knowing him. But I found out much, many years later that this pastor went away and told some other pastors that Russ doesn't believe in theology. Now, I probably spent 30,000 hours or more in my life reading the Bible and theology. I was quite astounded that he'd misunderstood me and even more astounded that he misrepresented me. And then I realized afterwards how God must feel when we misrepresent him. When we talk about him, but not what he said he's like, but what we'd like him to be like. 
or what we think he should be like. When we misrepresent him, when we say he hates this group of people, or he hates that person, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Yes, I'm going to go there. It says this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to those things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and things that are written in this book. A lot of us think, okay, that applies to the book of Revelation. But if you read 2 Peter, you'll find that prophecy refers to the whole Bible. 2 Peter in uh, chapter 1, in verse uh, 19 to 21, he says this, so we have... The prophetic word confirmed, which he's talking about the scriptures, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. This is good word. Until the day dawns and morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, nothing of the word, is a private interpretation. For prophecy never come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Basically saying we're not to take away from or add to the word of God. Most of us would say, oh, we would never do that. But we have whole sections of the church that ignore the Holy Spirit. They say the miracles of the Bible don't exist today. They've taken that part out and missing out on the gift that Jesus has given for us to live life with him. Most of us would say, how, how terrible. Well, let me tell you, we add to the word of God when we change what it says. We're not to take away or add to. When we add philosophy or man's words, I think it means this. I read a book a few, a couple of months ago, and it was a whole uh, story, and, and the guy's basic premise was God is love. He took one aspect of the character and nature that God's revealed himself and made that everything and said, therefore, God would never send anyone to hell because he's loving. He totally misunderstood God completely because God doesn't send anyone to hell. We go there because of our rebellion. He's loving in that he pursues us But he had made a whole argument based on one aspect of the character of God that made good sense, but it wasn't the Bible. 
Let me tell you, when we add something or when we take away, we don't have the Bible. We get in trouble here. Be- not, not in this crowd, because you guys are the, the choir. The Koran is not the Bible. Even though Muhammad says that he received something from an angel. The Book of Mormon is not the Bible. Even though Joseph Smith said he received something from an angel. Anyone who adds to the word of God, even if they said they've received it from an angel, it's not the Bible. We've got to protect, guard the authority of the word. A paraphrase is not the Bible. It's someone adding to. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Now here's where I'm going to get in trouble. The Passion Translation is not the Bible. Because it's adding to. It's not a translation. Why am I saying that? I'm not trying to make a point. I'm saying this. We need to embrace the fullness of the Spirit. And we need to embrace the totality of the Word. All of it. The Word of God is what God said about himself and his plans. Not what anyone else says. God says, I'm like this. Something wrong if we think I can add to what God said about himself and make it better. I can express to you how I've experienced that and how it affected my life. I can talk to you about God touching me and my salvation, but I can't add to who God is. I can't make him better. I can't add to his word and make it better. Neither can I take away from it and make it better. Now think about what I just said there for a moment. There's something that's a bit off if I think I know better than God. And isn't that what the original word of the devil, the lie of the devil was, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. You can determine. I know better. Let me tell you, you don't know better. What God has said and what God is saying by his spirit are all that you need for life and godliness. The word of God is the foundation. It's the structure The leading of the Spirit doesn't change the Word of God, but he fills in the gaps. Now, that's not saying that he's adding to the Bible. I'm saying this. Let me give you an illustration. The Bible is very clear that God's pattern for men and women is marriage. Very clear. That's his pattern. But there's nowhere that I can find in the Bible that says Russ Doty should marry Mary Ellen Eason. Have a pattern, a principle, but I don't have the actual direction. And let me tell you, on that kind of decision that affects the rest of my life, you don't don't get a, 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 what's the word, a practice. And that type of decision, I want to hear God. 
And so while I have the foundation of the word, I need the leading of the spirit. I want to encourage you, let's embrace both. Are you embracing the fullness of the spirit? And are you embracing the totality of the word? Are you guarding the authority of the word? Or do we mix a little bit of word and a little bit of the world? You know, the book of James says that those who are friends with the world are at enmity or hostility toward God. How do you think God feels when we take his word and a little bit of Oprah and we mix it together and we lean on the Oprah side and we say, this is how you should build your life? Would you bow your head? I hope you want to be a person who embraces the fullness of the word and the fullness of the spirit. This church is built on that foundation. And we want to see it continue. Fully word and fully spirit. If you've allowed a mixture of stuff and the Holy Spirit's spoken to you this morning, will you just repent and say, I need the truth of the word. You'll know the truth. The entirety of God's word is truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We just say, God, I want to know your truth. All of it regarding relationships, regarding money, regarding marriage, regarding work. I want to know your truth. But at the same time, I acknowledge I need the fullness of your spirit in order to understand that. Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. You have the spirit who teaches you. So we need both. And so will you say, Lord, I embrace the fullness of the Spirit. Let me ask, if you've been afraid of emotion or people being emotional, if you've been taught that that's wrong when, when the Holy Spirit touches someone and they begin to cry or laugh or uh, shake or something and you get scared, would you just admit that to God and realize that that's not him? Now, let me say the other side of that is that crying doesn't bring the Holy Spirit. There are churches where people will yell and scream because they've been taught this is how you bring the Holy Spirit. I've been in churches like that. This is not one of those churches. We won't allow that to happen. But if there's a fear, just say, God, you lead me in truth. Holy Spirit, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for your word. We receive all of your word. Everything you've said about yourself, we want to know you. Not a theological system, but you. And we receive the fullness of your spirit. 
Help us to build that foundation in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just say this. If you haven't met Jesus, you can do that this morning. I'm not going to invite you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you just to tell someone near you that you're ready to meet Jesus. Just about everyone here has met him at some point, and they can tell you how. It doesn't take a professional. As Steve said, there's no professionals. We're a kingdom of priests. If you need a touch from God this morning, ask some people around you to pray for you. Because we have a supernatural God, and we're a team. Back to what Tim shared last week. It doesn't take professionals. Though Steve would probably say it with tears. Someone else could still, still do it, and God could still touch you. Why don't you stand?